this evening again into Psalm 45, unique among the Psalms. And as we made mention last Wednesday evening, uh, many very sound expositors believe that this is the springboard to the Song of Solomon. We don't know the writer. We don't need to know the writer, the human writer. We know the divine writer. It is the Word of God. Our dependence is upon Him to open His truth to our hearts. Last week we looked at uh, that which was addressed to the King, the Royal King, whom we know to be our Lord Jesus Christ in the psalm. We know that to be from the New Testament specifically as this psalm is quoted in uh, the book of Hebrews attributed to our Lord. And then we have the address to the bride, the royal bride. We'll read the whole psalm. Then our message will be taken particularly from verses 10 through 17. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips, therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp, in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces, whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Well, as we made mention, the first part of this glorious psalm was an address to the king, to Christ, the divine king, expressing the heart of one who had a spiritual sight of the king all-glorious and whose heart was so full that he must write and declare the glories 
some of the glories that he beheld. And so much was his soul enraptured by the knowledge of the Lord that he could not contain himself. The second part of this unique psalm is an address by the same one to the king's royal bride, whom we know to be the redeemed church, elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth, the regenerate church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is blessed to comprehend that when God created man, created Adam, and uh, then took Eve from his side and made a woman from him and brought them together as one, that that was a picture of what God in finality is going to do in a greater sense, far greater sense, with Christ and his church. We learn in Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. This regenerate church that would become regenerate was the object of his love from all of eternity and the object of God's purpose and the object of his redemption from all of eternity. He loved the church and gave himself for it. How blessed in a Christian marriage when we have as in Ephesians chapter 5 the order where the man is in the position of representing Christ and the woman in the position of representing the church and what a glorious blessed union that is when biblically it is set forth. And yet we know of course that again this is but to be representative of that which is far greater. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, I have espoused thee to, uh, uh, as a virgin to one. And uh, we know, of course, that he was speaking of espousing those who believed and were brought to faith in Christ to him and uh, looking forward to the great consummation of the marriage union. We don't know the human writer of this psalm. We know the divine writer. And we know, of course, as the Lord Jesus said in John 16, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. We can be assured that when Christ is glorified in us, when we look into a passage of Scripture, we behold Him. We behold some of His glories here or there. That's the work of God's Spirit, making known Him to us. And nothing is going to take our heart from Him if that is God's work in us. So, what we have before us is a description of the royal wedding. It's a good title, the royal wedding. It is the purpose of the ages. It is the culmination of what God has decreed from all of eternity. It is the glory uh, revealed to be the everlasting portion of those who are truly redeemed by the blood of God's Son, of whom it is written that the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed for himself, who gave himself for our sins, that he might redeem us from this present evil world, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He redeemed us from sin for himself, to be his, to be his forever. And so, when John, the apostle, given the revelation uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation of, 
of what eventually is going to be the glorious consummation of God's purpose. And he's writing to suffering saints who are bearing the name of Christ, who are living unto him and suffering mightily in the world. Yet he sets before him the glory of what shall come. Look in Revelation 19, for instance, and in verses 6 through 9. And uh, this they would rejoice to hear. This we who are in Christ should rejoice greatly to hear above anything in this world. In the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation in verses 6 through 9, in the visions given to John the Apostle, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as uh, the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I'm glad to hear those words. I'm thankful it's God who's in control of this world and whose purpose shall stand. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed, are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Well, we have a reflection of that in Psalm 45. Like the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, those alone are enthralled here, who are truly enthralled with Christ and Him alone, who can say with the greatest of joy, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. No one else is going to rejoice at this message. No one else is going to take it into their inner being and find it to be more precious than silver and gold or anything in this world. So let us look into this passage with a wonder. A wonder that can only come from a genuine believing heart. A loving heart. And one that has been taken away by love divine. Love all excelling. So we have the presentation of the bride to the king all glorious in this psalm. And what we have when we learn of the bride, we learn first of her wholehearted consecration. Wholehearted consecration. Oh, that's a big mouthful. But that belongs to those who have been redeemed by the blood of God's Son, who have been embraced by His love and embraced that love. She is to forget her past. In verse 10, we read in, in this Psalm 45, Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Well, just like uh, marriage with its mandate, to leave father and mother and cleave to one's spouse in a new and permanent bond. So the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ and all who are of her must be his completely, totally, completely his. No longer their own, no longer dependent upon their past. The Lord Jesus, you remember, said in Luke chapter 14 and verse 33, Whosoever it be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. 
He said some words we don't hear preached very much. He said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He's talking about complete consecration to him. Total consecration to the Son of God. There cannot be a divided heart. There cannot be a divided heart any more than a man can serve two masters. There can be no competition brought against him. But Christ's glory, the glory of the Son of the living God, the glory of he who brought all things into existence, the glory of him who humbled himself and came into this world and took upon him our nature and became obedient unto death, the glory of him whose righteousness is perfect and whose glory and beauties we shall be discovering for all of eternity, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot but demand a true separation unto him from everything that would oppose him. The house of our birth was the house of sin. We were born into this world sinners. And nothing of that fallen human nature can be brought to Christ. We bring nothing of ourselves that we brought into this world to him. And being born into the city of destruction, which this world is, being made aware that we were in the city of destruction. Then we learned by God's grace that Christ came to save such sinners and were drawn to flee unto him and unto him alone. If we would have our new and eternal abode in the heavenly city of God. But if we would forget the past, if we would turn our backs on the sinful world, and be given up to the Lord Jesus Christ, there must be in this a labored consideration. So the psalmist writes in verse 10, Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. You know how rare that is? The word of God, the most important truth ever, can be proclaimed, and people can go to sleep under it. Or their minds and hearts can ponder things they really want in this world. People generally go after what they really do desire. They'll make their plans of what they really want to do, no matter what they profess. And how many can really hearken, can hear the word of God in truth? And yet there must be a labored consideration. We're called to depart from that to which we are accustomed when we're brought to Christ. And even more, that which we loved in this world. And it requires a hearing of faith, as the scriptures declare it, which enables us to consider with true knowledge what is before us, to give an intense hearing to the word of God. It's a wondrous thing when all of a sudden one whose mind is wandering, their desires are everywhere else, they're lethargic in their being, they can't seem to take in or hear the truth. All of a sudden they're awakened. All of a sudden they begin to hear. All of a sudden they begin to realize what they are by nature. 
and to hear what God has done by grace in His Son, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the consideration doesn't take all that long when we lay hold in heart of the love of this great King. When that love is known, when that love is embraced, when we recognize the price that He paid to redeem us to Himself, to make us His own, and we realize that behind it is a love that's deeper, wider, greater, higher, deeper than human thought can ponder to completion. And the gloriousness of what He did and the cost to Him to redeem us. What a wondrous Savior who offered Himself for our sins, who held back nothing, Because he loved us with an incredible, deep, everlasting love. And we consider the price this king paid to buy us out of our former estate in this world and uh, to put before us the prospect of a glory that we cannot even properly now take in. He has redeemed us from all iniquity. You know what a blessed thing that is. No wonder the psalmist earlier, Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The horrendousness of sin man is unconscious of until God opens his heart to it. And then to realize that God, in the person of his Son, has redeemed us from sin. Put away our sins. Washed us. Cleansed us by His blood. Redeemed us from all iniquity. Having loved us with a self-sacrificial, self-giving love. Removed us from the realm of death and brought us into the realm of eternal life. Isn't that a wondrous thing? What can compare to that in this world's in which we live, and all to purify us unto Himself, to make us His own, to make us His own forever and ever. And a true sight of Him, just one true sight of Him, one genuine taste of His love and grace, will move the heart from other things, other competing desires, to a willingness to depart from them. To leave them all for him and him alone. That's a wondrous, miraculous work when that takes place. As much a miracle as when Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was brought to know the Lord of glory, tasted and found that the Lord was gracious and could write to the Philippians what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. A few verses later, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark 
for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So do all who are truly redeemed. Press to that mark. Wholehearted separation unto Christ. The forsaking of all other competing loyalties is not without the incentive of great promise and the response of obediential adoration. So we read in verse 11. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. That he is the object of the heart's desire. That's no wonder that he has beauty throughout, without spot, without blemish. That the glories of his character and his person excel everything in eternity. That's no marvel. The marvel is that he greatly desires us. <laughs> the marvel is he wants us. And is ready to show his excelling love to us. That's a glorious marvel. And yes, sometimes we feel so weak and feeble and frail. Sometimes we say, Lord, you're so glorious. Do I really know you? And we get a glimpse. And we want more and more. And our hearts are turned toward him. If in the feeblest sense our hearts are turned toward him, it seems to ravish his. How do we know that? We'll look in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. And the Song of Solomon, of course, is indeed a love song between Christ and his church, his redeemed. So here we read in verses 8 through 10, we read him speaking to his bride. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinar and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Notice thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. Isn't it amazing? Incredible that we turn toward him, that we look at him with adoring wonder that we desire him as feeble as we may feel and he's ravished by our love. We should indeed be ravished by his. But that he's ravished by ours as feeble as we feel it sometimes to be. Isn't that a wondrous thing that we read of? And the knowledge of his all-encompassing love and the true consideration of it bows the heart in adoring and responsive love to Him. If we love Him in any measure in truth, and we should love Him supremely above all, it's only because He first loved us. It's only because He enwrapped us with that love and drew us to Himself by that love and showed us the great depth of that love in the cross. And the soul is drawn to a holy obedience unto Him. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. Being drawn by his love and consecrated to him in her heart, 
the church is all at the same time fitted to be forever with him by the garment he has purchased for her. We read in chapter, uh, verse 12, rather, through verse 14, in the first part of verse 14, And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. Well, here's a bride with a glorious beauty. But this beauty is not inherent in her. It's a gift to her. This is a beauty that is given to her. It is like that description of what the Lord gives to those who anything but are beautiful, yet believing are given far more than a simple pardon for sin. Look into Isaiah 61, for instance. In Isaiah chapter 61, in the first three verses, <clears throat> in uh, Isaiah, the Lord Jesus speaking prophetically, by the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Notice, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You see, we didn't have anything to bring to him. We didn't have anything of beauty in us. We had that which was ugly. We had that which was defiling. We had that which was awful. Sin against God. We were sinners. We didn't have any ability to change that. But when we were yet without strength to do anything about it, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. This is the wonder of divine grace. He didn't love us because of us. He didn't love us because he found anything in us that was worthy of his love. He loved us simply because he chose to do so. He loved us because he is love. He loved us when we were the most unlovely. Nothing to bring, nothing appealing in ourselves. Yet in a sovereign love, loving only because he chose, we're given a beauty. You know what that beauty is he gives to us? His own. He gives us his beauty. Isn't that a wondrous thing? He gives us his own beauty. Wrought gold, we read of in verse 13. Wrought gold made from not only the most precious of metals, but the most precious of gold, the gold of Ophir. That was the best, the purest. And this is divine righteousness that's given to the bride and given inwardly. 
External beauty is vain. It soon fades. The world looks for beauty outward. The world wants to make itself look good outward. wants to paint itself up to everything it can. And yet it can be as defiled and ugly on the inside as possible. The beauty that we have in the Word of God is beauty in the sight of God. And when God sees us in Christ, He sees us beautiful. Isn't that a wondrous thing? No wonder Isaiah could declare in Isaiah 61, things verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorneth herself with her jewels, and as a bride adorns himself, and so forth. I didn't get that exactly right, but mostly. And in the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of the Lamb, the biblical language is very precise. That's telling us the bride was purchased by his blood, the sacrificial lamb. In the marriage of the lamb, when presented as a bride without spot, the character of the bride will be likened unto the bridegroom, conformed to him. God is working that. Sometimes in us, in difficult ways, he's working in us. That our character might be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus himself. It's his beauty he puts upon us. It's beauty that shall be in us. Isn't that wondrous? Tell me something in this world perishing that can compare to that. The riches of the world shall be shown to be nothing in comparison to the riches of eternal grace, which is the portion of the bride, so that even those who once despised her shall be made to bow and to know that Christ has loved her. The daughters of Tyre, the rich among the people, shall entreat thy favor. She who is consecrated to her Lord and fitted to be forever with Him, they look forward with a joyful anticipation, rightly, that no one else can look forward to. Man can look forward in this world, he can hope and come into some kind of riches that he can enjoy his life and enrich himself and do all kinds of things for this worldly life. But then he's got to die. He's going to leave it all. And as he came into this world, so shall he leave it. No matter what he acquires and attains, it cannot go. But if he has these riches, then he's rich indeed. The only truly rich person is the one who is rich in the Lord. The one whose riches are that of Christ himself. And those are eternal riches. He may prosper you in this world greatly, but that's nothing in comparison to the riches that are in him. 
So we read in verses 14 and 15. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Scriptures often afford to us pictures of the same thing. Sometimes metaphors, differing situations that describe something spiritual for us. And so it is here. In one respect, the church is a queen, a royal queen. In another, those who are individually of her are virgin companions. The virgins, her companions. And of course, this is not unusual in Scripture. It's absolutely consistent, for instance, with the parable of the ten virgins. Some who had oil in their vessels and were ready when the Lord would come. Some who didn't. Some who had not the work of God's grace and His Spirit. And some who did. Only those who did were ready when the bridegroom came. The others, to them the door was shut. So you have multiple figures in Scripture. And of course, speaking of the virgins, this is speaking of the purity of the church's companions. Those who love her, those who are of her, those who share in her awaiting glory. Spurgeon described them as, quote, pure in heart, virgins. Pure in company, her companions. Pure in walk, that follow her. Gladness and rejoicing, the psalmist speaks of as belonging to the bride of Christ. Gladness and rejoicing will be that with which those who enter the ivory palace of the heavenly glory with Christ shall enter in. And we can't properly imagine that. We can't imagine that. We're too tied to the earth. We're too tied to the difficulties of it. We're too tied to the heart warning its escapisms and the things that delight it and the pleasures of this life. If we get too tied to that, we're going to miss out on what's really glorious. And the understanding of things that are eternal that belong to those who are in Christ. If we could get a glimpse of the reality of what we have coming and the hope that should rise in our bosoms then we could say with Paul our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, not at the things that are temporal, but the things which are eternal. My, if we ever see a real awakening again in this nation, a revival, some want to term it, that would take place. Change, change would come. And the hearts of men, and they sit under the most sound ministries now, and the heart is in the world. And that's what one goes after. And it's a sad thing. We can't begin to imagine what awaits us who are in Christ. Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. As Jude wrote in the 24th verse of his little book. If we can comprehend something about that. Our hearts aren't going to be in this world. They're going to be on him. And things that matter for eternity. The image here though stops at the palace. We're not given to understand the glories of the palace here. We're not given to comprehend what the ivory palace is going to be like. And I think the same reason is why the Apostle Paul, though he was caught up to the third heaven, though he experienced things nobody else had experienced, yet his heart wasn't there. His heart was to depart in what? Be with Christ, which is far better. Whatever the glory of the eternal estate, it's the glory of the king himself. It's the glory of the king that takes the heart of the bride. And her companions. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Another figure. Well, it's not a figure. That is what we are in Christ. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Our blessed hope is his appearing to us. Not our appearing in glorious things that we cannot now comprehend, but to be with Him, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, of our great God and Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. The heart of the true bride always cries out in truth, Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. Then we might consider from this psalm the blessedness of the bride's royal children. In verses 16 and 17. Instead of thy father shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Well, here's another figure, that of children in our song. And yet it's speaking of the same people. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children. Of course, the bride was taught to leave the father's house. All being forsaken, totally consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have various figures. And here it speaks of children. The church is a city with citizens. It is a bride with attendants. It is a house with inhabitants. It is a mother with children. It's a wondrous thing that the line of God's grace is never extinguished. No matter what it might appear to be in this world, and there have been times in this world when it seems the world has been enabled or providentially 
and able to unleash incredible powers against the people of God to where she would almost seem to be destroyed, but never she was. Never could she be. Those who were fathers, they may have passed away. The spiritual children replaced them. I'm so thankful to hear the Lord's promise to us, as it were. I take it as, as a promise as well as a statement and glorious truth. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm so thankful that as a young boy, a young boy, God began to do something in my heart and I didn't even realize at the time what was taking place. I'm so thankful for the very first application that I made of Scripture. The very first. When memorizing Scripture in Sunday school, thank God for the Sunday school teacher who had us memorize Scripture. And of course it was the authorized version that so many others hadn't arisen at that time. And uh, memorizing realizing that God's mercy is everlasting, that his truth endures to all generations, and beginning to realize that means my generation, that means when I'm older, God's truth is not extinguished. Sometimes it gets very small, it seems like. Sometimes there are very few that really embrace and comprehend it, but it's eternal. All of the bride's children are royalty. Royalty of the king's seed. And all have access to the king's presence. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The perpetuity of the church even while she awaits the glorious consummation to come assures the glory of our Lord's name being spread to all generations. Verse 17 I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. The glory of our Lord the majesty of his name the divine dignity of his person will be spread to all nations because the Father has decreed it and oversees it and secures it. The gospel will go to all nations. Just as the Father says to the Son in Isaiah 49.6, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. I will make thee be a, to be a light to the ends of the earth, God says. If you're of her, this bride, if you're part of the truly redeemed, regenerate church of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're also to be engaged in spreading abroad the glories of his name and unashamedly praising him who loved you and gave himself for you. Christianity is not simply a system of do's and don'ts. Christianity is a person. 
Christianity is Christ. Separation unto Him, the living Lord, is not an option for us. There are many who embrace religion. There are many who can profess. And there are many who have a system of do's and don'ts. And that becomes the substance of their so-called Christianity. And they can grudgingly do the do's while secretly desiring the don'ts. But that is, <clears throat> that is not biblical Christianity. Few there are who truly are given up to a joyful surrender to belong to Christ, to Him only. Let's seek Him alone. To walk in faith's obedience to Him only. But they are there. They are there if they be few. They are there and they shall enter into the king's palace. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many are the bee which go therein. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. It's all in Him. It's all by His cross. Glorious psalm, isn't it? May God bless His holy word to your heart and to mine for His own glory and honor.